Welcome to the Kick-Ass Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Weaver. You might also know me as the brand medium. I have been in the branding industry for over 20 years now. I'm a published author and I'm also a psychic medium. So in my normal days, you can find me doing psychic readings for people's businesses and brands. But right now, right here on this podcast... I am talking to a bunch of kick-ass businesswomen who have made it successfully in business despite some setbacks. Some of them have personal challenges and some of them have had business challenges, but either way, they're going to tell us how they overcame them and how we can do the same. And they're also going to give us their recipes for success. So if you're starting up a business or you are wanting to get further in your business, then this is the podcast for you. So go grab a cuppa and settle in. And let's get on with the Kick-Ass Chronicles podcast. For the Kick-Ass Chronicles, it's episode five that we are recording today. And I've got Alice Hayden from Alice Hayden Events sitting here today to chat with me. Hi, Alice. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. So I guess to start with, what I would like to know first is if you just tell me a bit about where you're at at the moment, your business, and what you're kind of doing right now, and then we can get stuck into all the, <laughs> to all the juicy stuff after that. <laughs> sure. Um, so where I'm at right now, I've actually been in business for four years. I launched the September before COVID hit, um, and it's been an absolute roller coaster ever since, basically. Um, <laughs> I, obviously, we had no idea that COVID was going to hit us, and the hospitality industry and the wedding industry were hit like a ton of bricks, as we all know, during COVID. Um, and I was no different. So it's the first uh, year of business was definitely a learning curve in staying the course and having a bit of grace and working a lot with karma to make sure that <laughs> everything came back around in the end. <laughs> um, yes. So yeah, lots of, a lot of refunding for clients and grace and that, but uh, as time went on, I, st I started to kind of find my stride a little bit and, and kind of we are where we are now and I've I've built my reputation and my business up I'd like to think quite well you know slowly but really well over the last few years um I probably should have said this at the beginning I am a luxury <laughs> wedding and events planner here in Perth, Western Australia and all straight in there um I specialize in big bold creative beautiful weddings I have some absolutely incredible clients on the books at the moment I have had some amazing clients on the books you know I've re you know really really meshed with really well um, which has just made for an amazing business experience so far um, and where I'm at now is I'm actually starting to branch out a little bit so I have mainly stayed in within the Perth market for now but as of September last year I did my very first destination wedding which was a couple from overseas coming here to Perth and it was just the most incredible experience because it wasn't just doing their wedding it was doing everything it was I call it the wedding concierge service because yeah. I was doing accommodate accommodation and the wedding and the rehearsal dinner and transportation to and back from Perth because they were you know the 100 people here for uh two weeks or so so and then wow. helping them uh you know with suggestions for tours and that kind of thing and it was it was like a kind of wedding travel agent a little bit but I loved it and it's something that I am going to pursue further this year and I'm launching my packages very very soon which is really cool that's exciting. And yeah. that's a really fun thing for you to be part of as well, isn't it? Like, because that the vibe, I imagine, from a destination wedding would be quite different to a normal wedding because everyone's out of their normal, you know, comfort zone, I suppose, or their normal kind of place. So it's like a holiday <laughs> along with the, the wedding oh, stuff. Yeah. So the, the vibe would be amazing. 
it was amazing, but it was very different. And because these guys were from Indonesia and they have a very different culture over there, the they were obviously very excited to be on holiday and excited to go and you know see stuff and um, you know really take in West Australia as it is. But from a cultural perspective and from a wedding perspective, it was so so unbelievably different from a Western wedding mm. that I learned so much in terms of crowd hoarding and, <laughs> and and telling people what to do. And, you know, whereas Australians are generally very chill, you know, in, Indonesians like things just so. So it was very much learning myself how to talk in a different way, you know, obviously in a, in a grace way, but to, to make sure they knew what was going on. I knew what was going on, but everything kind of ran as smoothly, but in a relaxed way. And that's actually something that they really appreciated. The bride and groom, they said, our Indonesian wedding was just completely different to this wedding. And we really, really, really liked this wedding because you were so relaxed, even though I was running around like a headless chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's what's going on in here and then what's going on on the surface. It's like a duck, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's, the story of a, it's the story of a wedding planner. I am constantly zen, but underneath I'm like the, yeah. with my feet going, woo. So, so what, yeah. do you reckon you'd target the Indonesian market or would you go elsewhere? I'm going Southeast Asia, China. Yep. I'm just kind of going to go for that for now. But obviously, it'd be lovely to get, you know, European weddings over here as well. Mm, I think there's a huge we'll market for all of that. I think that's so exciting. I'm excited for is. you. <laughs> the branding part of <laughs> oh, me I'm is really like, excited. oh, my God, all the possibilities. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a new chapter in my business. Um, and it's a complete learning curve because I've obviously never done it before. And I'm flying by the seat of my teeth at the moment. So... We shall see. <laughs> I think that's the fun part, though. I was watching, I don't know if you, well, one of the, one of my lovely clients, she was doing an interview with someone on her podcast, and this the, this quote that this lady said just, like, has stuck with me, which is, like, doesn't matter what they ask, I just say yes, and then I figure it out as I go. <laughs> and I was just like, yes. Oh, yeah, 100%. That's exactly what we've got to do, because I think as women, we have a tendency to just be like, oh, I don't, I haven't really done that before. I don't quite know. Whereas guys would just be like, yeah, and they could have zero idea and they'd still just faff along yeah. and figure it out. Whereas as women, we're like, oh, if it's not perfect, I better not say, but I'm just like, yes, just say yes, just say yes and figure it out as you go. Yeah. That's the best thing. Yeah. So, oh, it's a hundred percent. And my husband is the prime example of that <laughs> because he is a tradie, but we're in a Renault at the moment and this entire Renault is completely DIY via him. Yeah. I look after the child. <laughs> Um, but like, if he doesn't know how to do it, he'll just go find out. He'll be like, yeah, I can do that. And he'll go YouTube it or he'll just, he'll just go find out. And I'm like, how, how? So it's definitely something that I have taken. I mean, I've been with him 10 years. It's something that I've been like, I really need to start being more like him in that, you know, you say yes more yeah. when it comes to just life in general. But I think business as well, I think it, business for new business owners is a constant yeah, no, but I'm going to have a go and see if it works. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So exactly. <laughs> it's all trial and error. It, that one, that's exactly right. And I think sometimes when you just say yes and you're not sure, that's when amazing things can come because you're letting your journey just kind of lead you and and it just that's, mm. that's the moments when you're like, fuck, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm just going to go, okay, let's do this. And then you're suddenly like, yeah. this is a thing. This is the thing. This is what I wanted to do or this has led me to the thing that I wanted to do. And, and those are the moments that kind of, you know, that open up everything, in there, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's when your gut instinct really comes into play. Yeah. And... 
it's the time when you have to be like, well, I have to trust it because it's the only voice I've got right now. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Fantastic. So I'm usually right. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you follow your instincts, it usually doesn't lead you astray too far. Sometimes it feels like it is, but then yeah. other times you're like, oh, that's yeah. why, that's what that was. But yeah, speaking of following instincts and stuff and just kind of rolling with it and building resilience, let's get a little bit into your journey of how you kind of got here in the end. Obviously from the UK, whereabouts in the UK are you from? I'm from Oxford. Oh, lovely. So that was quite easy. Was that where we went to uni as well? Uh, eventually, yeah. yes. <laughs> so you did uni, you did a bit there and then you came to Australia and then you went back. So I originally went to university in Swansea in Wales oh, because I, I wanted to get out of Oxford. <laughs> I love Swansea, it's <laughs> <laughs> um, But I was only there for nine months or so. Um, I was, yes, I was there doing a business degree because I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. My dad actually had his own business um, throughout my entire childhood. He had some, his own issues and mutinies and stuff. I won't get into that. But he, I saw him work really, really hard at his, his, his business. He owned a printing and graphic design business. Um, And we used to go into the office all the time and see it. And from that, I was like, yeah, I think I want my own business. I want to be independent. I want to make decisions. So I was like, well, I don't really want to do anything for uni because I think you go through a phase when you're 17 going, oh my God, my life is being mapped out for me. I don't know what I want to do. And you get a bit confused. You're like, ah, okay. So I just went and did a business degree. Turns out I'm not that great at business. <laughs> in, in, well, I mean, in bus- at, at a business degree, yeah. at a business degree, because it was all very specific. And I'm crap at economics and I'm crap at accounting. Yeah. But all the human stuff I really, really enjoyed, like HR and that kind of thing. Yeah. But my mum actually was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was oh god, 15, 16. She had breast cancer, and then it, she went into remission, and then she ended up getting liver cancer. Funny story. The doctor said, "Do you have a drinking problem?" And she went, "No, I have." I have a couple of glasses a week and it turns out the cancer had gone down to her liver. Then it went back to her, her breasts oh. and she died when I was 20. Oh. So I left university yeah, in my first year and went back to, went back to Oxford and ended up going to study international hospitality management at Oxford Brookes University, which at the time was the best university for that degree at, uh, in the, in, I think it was in the UK. Um, and ironically, it was the course that I always wanted to do, but I didn't want to stay in Oxford. <laughs> so that's why I moved to Swansea. So not that I'm happy my mum died, but, you know, I suppose things come around in a weird, fateful kind of way. That was her um, way of getting you to so where I you did... needed to be. There you go. Yeah. Don't, I'll stop. I... Uh... <laughs> Sorry, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> it could be tears, this podcast. Um, yeah, so I did hospitality management at Oxford Brooks, which was an amazing experience. And it was definitely, it was still a business degree and it had business aspects to it. Um, still crap at accounting, but it was more that hospitality, which I loved. I ended up, you know, working f- since since I was 16 in hospitality and I just loved that social aspect of it. And I was always very good at interacting with people and, you know, upselling on the floor and that kind of thing. And I just went, you know, I'm going to go do a degree in this. And in the fourth year, you got to go do a, a university placement. And I chose to come to Australia because, again, I was trying to get away from home. <laughs> Sorry, my life. So I chose the furthest possible place uh, uh, on the planet, which was Griffith University on the Gold Coast. And I had seven months of having a lot of fun. I came out of my shell heaps. And that was, you know, where I don't want to say I found myself because I hate that phrase. <laughs> but, you know, I definitely learned more about myself or I let myself be a lot freer because when I'd moved back to look after 
my brother, my sister, my dad, after my mum died, I had a very, you know, mothering, caring, responsible role in my household. Mm. So after four years of doing that, I was like, okay, I really need to go let loose for a bit. Because I never got the, you know, the early 20s. Yeah, I was going to say that. Let's just rewind a tiny bit. So the whole time you were at uni, when you went back to Oxford, you were actually caring for your siblings, essentially, and and your dad as well, by the sound of it. So you were basically the mum, the yeah, mum of mean, the house, for, well, and trying to study at the same time. To, yeah, I mean, mum to a point. I think because I was twenty, my brother was eighteen, and my sister was fourteen when my mum died. So obviously, my sister needed a lot more mm. help emotionally. As it turns out, I'm not that great at that either. No. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm very, uh, I'm very defensive, bottled up kind of person. I'm, I'm, I'm carbon copy of my father. So whereas I tried to, you know, be emotionally there for my sister, it took me and my sister a very long time to find that dynamic, like say. Mm. And now we have it, and it's fantastic, and I love her to bits. Um, and then my brother was kind of getting into that kind of phase where he was learning how to, I suppose be that that age and not that I can help with that but I did have that mothering aspect to a point you know cooking food cleaning looking after my dad my dad wasn't you know on the ball for for a few years um you know he he managed to I mean I don't think he ever he ever will be again obviously um but yeah it was it was it was hard so I think he when I when you're living at home and you're having to deal with all that and study and, you know, try and make friends at uni and go out and have your own life, it's very hard to find that balance because you always feel that sense of responsibility at yeah. home. Um, and and have so, time to grieve as well because when you... When you I didn't no, do that. No, have you had an opportunity to do that since? I did. Yeah. Um, I was 26. Yeah. So it took me six six or so years to sit with it. Yeah. Because I didn't have time. Yeah, no, time to grieve when all that stuff's going on. Crack on. When you're that, yeah. yeah. And how's that? You how's do. it you been do. as you've become a mother as well? Like, have you felt it a bit more? Like the fact that I don't know. You know, for me, I was just like always like huh, need my mum. <laughs> so you know, as stuff happens, you're like I just I just need my mum here to help me out and teach me what to do. And you know, like I mean, you kind of know. But in the early years, like my mum, I had yeah. my mum quite involved just because, well, I was on my own as well, which didn't help, but she was basically my support person. So I guess I, for me, in my head, I just think, is that a time when it, it sort of starts to come up a bit again? Because you're, you're, you've now become the mother and, you know, are you, do you miss yours or do you kind of channel yours a bit and kind of be like, oh, what my, what would my mum would have done? Or, um, Yeah, I, mean, I think it changes over time. And I think when... Your mum dies so young, especially at 20, you're kind of getting into that kind of phase in your life where all the big things are starting to happen. So, you know, obviously meeting like your husband and then getting married and like having got those things. Ah, oh, here we go. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, was, I obviously miss her every day. And I think about her a lot. I dream about her all the time. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, as as I've become a mum, you do go, well, what would she have done? But then was I too young at the time to realise what she was teaching me? Mm. As, you know yeah. what I mean? I I mean, I had my support system with my, you know, my sister and my my mum's sister and my aunt, she, she or aunts on mm. both sides, they've been, they've been amazing. But in terms of, because I'm over here by myself, I've pretty much had to do it by right, myself. Yeah. Um, 
I've got my husband's mum as well. She's been really helpful. And she and my daughter have the most amazing relationship. But obviously she's not, she's not mine. Mm. She's been quite hard. Um, but yeah, you definitely think, yeah, what, what would she have done? And how, how was I raised to try and teach mine yeah. that? Yeah, I think, I think yeah. a lot of it you get through osmosis. And just um, <laughs> on, a, yeah. on another level, <laughs> she's with you anyway. So she's there kind of teaching you through like when you have those intuitive moments with your kids, well, <laughs> soon to be child, but I feel like there's, there's still moments that you're having with the one that you've got brewing. Um, that's her kind of coming through. and, and Yes, we should say that I am 20 weeks yeah. pregnant at the moment just to, for the podcast yeah. audience. So Did, I've got another one on the that. way. <laughs> didn't mention that one, yes. So my first 20 months and I'm now oh, 19 yeah. weeks. So nearly yeah, halfway. but I do I do feel like a lot of that of your intuition of parenting is is partly her being there for you and coming through for you anyway. She's like very, you know, her energy is very linked to yours. Sorry, just side note from that. I'd like to think so. <laughs> Maybe we should do an actual reading for you and have a chat. But uh, <laughs> please do because <laughs> she's she's sitting there at this point no. and yeah, I've got her like her energy's coming in even just for this. So there you go. That's interesting. That's that's a tangent oh, really? I didn't expect this interview to take. <laughs> so, okay. Well, is she sitting behind me or behind you? Uh, well, probably both because usually I just get whatever's happening with you. So it's kind of, she's kind of there on me, so she's probably hey, there on you. <laughs> so, Aww. yes. Yeah. Hey, Mum. <laughs> but I do feel like she's pretty much there all the time with you and I think, you know, your, for, your energies are just really closely linked anyway. That's not what we're supposed to be doing today. <laughs> so that's nice yeah, to hear, though. Yeah. So now we can return to your journey. Well, this is such a big part of the journey. <gasps> How can you? You can't. I know what yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, it's still, and it's going. It's going to be all the time for the rest of your life because that is mm. it's, that's part of. Well, it's part of you, really, and that's and like somebody said, is that you know the grief and loss they don't ever really go away you just get better at dealing with them and get used to kind of yeah 100%. because it's you know it's yeah. especially of a mother that is such a and for a, well for a woman I think in particular because we have these uh, generally speaking not every single person but there is quite a strong bond, bond between you know mother and daughter and you know that is one of those things that will always just that you just get better at coping with <laughs> over the years yeah I think you do I think the grief is it's the time is is the best healer in terms of when it's really raw, it's really raw. And then as time goes on, you kind of you you have time to sit with it and actually appreciate it for what it mm. is. And it's I think what she's been she's been gone. How old am I? Fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, she's been gone fifteen, fifteen nearly sixteen years now. And I think over time. Like, I forget when her death day is. I, I sometimes forget her birthday because she's yeah. always here. So it doesn't really, it doesn't change the fact. I don't get super emotional on her death day or her birthday because I'm like, well, I've had time to sit with it and appreciate it for what it is and learn from from that. So, yeah. yeah. And then she's just, she's just with you and part mm. of you on your journey as well. Yeah. Mm. Cool. So, sorry to hijack that conversation. Going, going right. just, back. Wipe my tears away there. <laughs> just needed to get some tears out. That's it. I uh, just wanted, wanted to make you oh, cry. Oh, God. <laughs> but going now we can go back to your... <sighs> okay, so where were we? Yes, so... <laughs> it's 
going to do this stuff that I haven't yes, been doing for much. the last five or six years and, yep, just have yeah. fun and, and experience the yeah. full uni experience. I did. So at 24, um, I started to wear, I started to really care about my appearance a lot more. Not that I started eating super healthy because I couldn't afford it, but, you know, I started to, I was never really a girly girl. And to be honest, I'm still not, but I started to wear, you know, if anyone <laughs> has been to the Gold Coast, you will appreciate this. I started to wear really tight, short dresses and I used to do my hair and I used to put makeup on every day. And I used to, you know, I never used to have that kind of sense of body, not body positivity, but I never used to be like out there like that because I was always inward and looking after other people. So I, I had this wardrobe of these tiny, tiny dresses that we'd go out yeah. to the Gold Coast and dance on poles. And I think I still have a few of them because it just makes me reminisce, but I will never fit into them again. And yeah, and I met a lot of boys and I had fun with those boys yes. and I, yeah, and just had had made so many amazing <laughs> friends who I still talk to every now and again. There's some of them are still on the Gold Coast, some are still at Melbourne. Um, and then I had to come back home and finish my degree. So from those seven months of being completely and utterly, let's face it, mm -hmm. raucous, um, <laughs> I came home to being back to the person that I had to be before I left. And it was almost like, um, you know, when people come back from war and it's, what is it, what is it? it's not PTSD, but it's, I guess it was mild PTSD because it's not, not quite, but you know, it's just that, that lull where you're like, oh, okay. It's like when you go on holiday for two weeks and then you come back and you're like, oh, I've got to go back to work. Still yeah. have that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I was in, I finished my degree and I, there was something, there was something missing. And I think that lull just was, no, nah, I need to go back out. And he's going to do that again and then to work out what I want to do. Because I started applying for all these jobs in hospitality in the UK and London and Oxford and stuff. But I couldn't get a job because it was the GFC, GFC, Global Financial Crisis yeah. at the time. And England was being hit really, really hard. And if you didn't have all the experience and all of the degrees and all this kind of stuff, you know, you were basically put to the bottom of the pile. And I was... Um, only being hired for waitress jobs and I was like mm. I've worked since I was 16 I've been a supervisor I've been a manager I've been all this all these things and you're already hiring me post uni with a first which I think is a high distinction for you guys or yep, something okay. it's just the highest possible degree yeah I, I got the highest possible degree in my degree in the best university of the country and I was only being hired as a waitress I was like this is ridiculous so I was like, do you know what? I can I can't justify staying in England and being hired as a waitress, but for some reason I can justify getting a credit card, getting a flight over to Australia and being a waitress in Australia. <laughs> so where I don't so think, I did. Yeah. I don't know how the how does the pay match up between here and there? I mean the minimum wage is not great in the UK, is it anyway? Uh, well, it's obviously fluctuated over the years. Yeah. At the time when I came to Australia, it was amazing. It was fantastic. Like, I would be able to make enough money in six months to go home for two weeks. Yeah. yeah. Whereas now, there's not a chance in hell you could do no. that. No. Um, and it's getting better, but it's still pretty bad. But yeah, so I came over to, I went over to Melbourne because that's kind of where I left off, I suppose, after, because I went and did a bit of traveling after my university and Griffith ended. And I stayed with a friend I'd met on a Fiji cruise. <laughs> that were on my gap year and I stayed on her couch for three weeks and then she is amazing she actually works hospitality as well and she hi Rena after then this podcast you say <laughs> hi uh, I stayed with uh, her on her couch for three weeks and she helped me get a job and she helped me get in a, a house and I ended up living with these two Australian guys I can never remember the name of one of them but one of them was called Jono ironically which is now the name of my husband <laughs> uh, and I lived there <laughs> and I was in Melbourne for 
well, nearly, nearly a year. And then I had to um, get my working holiday visa renewed because I was like, no, I'm not ready to go home yet. And Melbourne, I hadn't quite settled in Melbourne because when you're working hospitality, Melbourne's actually really hard to settle down in because it's a big city. There's lots of hospitality venues mm. and there's a very big population. So someone like me coming over from the UK, you know, where your degree basically means shit all, they can hire anyone to be a waitress or they can hire anyone to be a supervisor. And with the working holiday visa, you had stipulations that you could only do, uh, you could only work somewhere for six months. And that was actually a really, you know, it meant that you couldn't settle down, which was mm. made life really hard. And then obviously they don't have to hire you or sponsor you because they can hire from an Australian pool. So I ended up moving to Perth uh, to do my three months, like working holiday visa stuff. And I was so in the red on my credit card that I couldn't afford to go back to Melbourne. I couldn't afford really to do anything. So I had to stay in Perth. So I lived in, <laughs> That's yeah, it was Perth, Perth by default. That's <laughs> literally pretty much. Yeah. It was, it, I didn't have a choice. I couldn't go anywhere yeah. else unless I was going to hitchhike up to Broome or something. But I was like, no, let's try Perth. Cause at the time they were starting to build Elizabeth Key. Oh. And and I thought, oh, okay, this could be good because they'll be done with that in what, like two, three years, and then they'll be. Because I knew that all the, because everyone on the on the hospitality circuit, because obviously it had a job mm. and stuff at the time, and um, said, so, yeah, there's going to be like a Ritz and a Hilton, and so I was like, oh, awesome, perfect, like they're all coming. Give it two or three years. Eight years later, and this was Keys finished, and I'm like, Jesus H, <laughs> I've been here ten, is, eleven years now, so I had to work out. WA is known as wait a while. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I think I learned that on my, on my, on my time here as well. So, um, yeah, so I ended up having to stay here and I ended up getting a job in Fremantle at the Monk Brewery in Kitchen. So I was a, uh, I learned all about beer. So I am a beer connoisseur. Oh, um, nice. And, yeah, and I lived in the old barracks, Swan Barracks, oh, which wow. is in Northbridge, which is gone now. It's now actually a wedding venue, yeah. ironically. <laughs> um, and I lived in an eight-bed dorm with seven very smelly German boys wow. on their gap years. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up, yeah, uh, couch surfing again for a couple of weeks. And then I found a place in Fremantle. And I just like my life is just a constant, like, just trying to find my feet, really, story. And I ended up getting sponsored by there to stay in the country. In the meantime, uh, had met my husband. And I could tell you the story of that because that kind of leads into another resilient story when I was forced out of the country to go live in Bali for 11 days. And it was the worst 11 days of my life. Oh. Um, yeah, I. so when you do your working holidays, you have to get all the paperwork and you have to send it in by a certain day so they can approve it and then give you your next year. And I sent it all in. Everything's fine. I've even got the emails to prove that I sent it in. I've still got them in my in my folders. <laughs> and I ended up getting a phone call on, I think it was like the 2nd of December, uh, the guy on the phone was from immigration and he said, oh, you've been, oh, no, I got an email first and he said, no, you've been, you've been denied. And I was like, how is that possible? I've done all the things, I've sent all the paperwork. So I ended up calling immigration and I said, what's going on? I've just had this email saying, you know, I've been denied. I've sent you all the stuff. I can resend it to you if you need it, but you've got it. And she said, no, we never received it. I went, yes, you bloody did. Because mm. I made sure that I sent it because there's no way that's the kind of thing you're going to not send. Yeah, exactly. And um, he said, no, no. He said, oh, well, we don't have it. And I was like, well, how is that my problem? And he said, well, it's not our problem. So it's, oh, it's not our problem either because you, we, you're not in our system. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And he said, well, you're going to have to, because you're going to have to go out of the country and apply again with the same paperwork from outside the country. <laughs> um, but we'll put you on a bridging, a two-month bridging visa until then. And I was like, are you actually for real? So 
They said, yeah, you've got to get out of the country. But at the time, it was the busiest season because it was December, which is obviously mm. summer season here. Yeah. Um, so I ended up pulling six-day weeks, triple shifts. Far out. For two months, I was absolutely exhausted to be able to pay for because you'd still pay for all your rent and the utilities and stuff for the. I didn't know how long I was yeah, going to be gone. Yeah. Accommodation while I was there, and they, obviously the place I went to was Bali because it's the cheapest place you find. I found the cheapest possible, <laughs> disgusting youth hostel in Bali. Yeah. I won't even go there. <laughs> and most of the most of the eleven days, I actually s- sat on my bed and read uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, yeah. the first book. Because I had, I took, I took a couple of books with me. That was one of them. But I vividly remember sick because I had no money. Yeah. I couldn't go and do anything. I couldn't, I, you know, I had one meal a day. And by the 11th day, I had just enough money left in my bank account after paying for accommodation and rent and food and stuff to pay for a flight back home and one more meal. Wow. And I ended up collect, I go into an internet cafe in Bali. I collect called immigration. And I said, I don't have enough money to stay here another day if you don't approve, mm. I'm going to be like completely destitute. I've got enough money to get, I've got enough money for a flight, a one-way flight back to Perth, but I don't, you know, because by this time I'd obviously had all my friends and a job and everything. And, and he said, oh no, we've only got up to Octo- like October 20th and you submitted on the 21st. And oh I was like, gosh. that is such bullshit. Yeah. And then I started crying on the phone, yeah. obviously. And I said, I don't think you understand. I have no money. Yeah. So ended up with getting it approved within two hours. Wow. Within two and a half hours, I had a flight, and within three and a half hours, I was on that yeah. plane and I was coming back to Perth. It's amazing what tears can do. And then, <laughs> I saw that after. So then, my mate picked me up from the airport because it was the twenty fifth of or twenty fourth of January. And my mate picked me up from the airport. My mate Nikki, who now lives in New Zealand, love her, miss her a bit, and she said, "You need a drink." I went, "I need 50. <laughs> And she said, well, it's, she said, it's Australia Day in a couple of days. We're going to a party. Do you want to come? I went, yes. Yeah. Why, why are you even asking me that stupid, stupid yeah. question? So we ended up going to this Australia Day party. Then we on that party went on to another. Oh, ironically, the Australia Day party we went to was actually five houses down from where I live now. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I love how the universe well, works. That's which so is, interesting. It is just, and I, yeah, it's literally like where we're, and where we're building our house now because we're building our forever yeah. home and where that first party was was five houses down in the back garden wow. absolutely crazy wow. we drank jack daniel's spiked gin punch <laughs> and she said oh there's another party let's go to that one sweet by this time we were all completely cat handed got to the second party and then my husband was in the middle of the garden in that party oh. and my and my mate said oh he looks nice because i could only see his back yeah. and i was like yeah he's got a really nice he's got a really nice back <laughs> <laughs> But I was, I was so, I was so blotted. I didn't even know what was going on. Um, and then later on in the evening, I ran into him in the middle of the living room, and I was like, "Hi!" Oh, hey. <laughs> and then I somehow thought I'd put my number in his phone wrong because I was drunk, and I didn't. He was FIFO, so he played the game and didn't text me for nine days. And then when he did, I was like, "Oh my god, thank God!" <laughs> I put my number in his phone right. And then we went for a day and then it just kind of snowballed. And then we've been together for 11 years now. Wow. We have a baby. We have another one on the way. We've got three dogs. We've got a house we're living in where we're renovating. We're building our forever home. Yeah, it's just amazing how life has just thrown me all these curveballs and fate has just kind of landed me in this kind of melting pot of you're here now and you're dealing with it. But the jigsaws all just came together. Mm. And it was, you know, I think sometimes when you let the jigsaws come together, and you don't fight it, it's amazing things can happen. Yeah. And, I mean, it is, 
all of, like, all of those things, I, I, don't, I don't like to sound too trite when you say stuff like this, but all of those challenges do build you to a certain point in your life and, you know, then you mm. come back and you're like, oh, I kind of, it was shit, but I kind of see where, like, I guess metaphysically and spiritually why I had to go on that journey. And I mean, it'd be great to learn those lessons without having yeah. to go on, you know, crappy, heartbreaking journeys. That would but be great, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> sometimes you just need them because also I guess the shitty times kind of make you appreciate the good times. And like you were saying 100%. in our earlier chat, yeah. like resilience, right? And that's what we need. We need that agility, mental agility, emotional agility and the resilience to be able to kind of deal with the stuff that life throws at us because it's never just going to be it's never just going to be cruisy all the way that's that's not that's not life there's always going to be ups and downs and we have you know that you know there's a life and death cycle right and that goes for everything within our lives and even just you know like jobs have life and death everything that we have is like a life and death cycle so we're always going to be cycling through Mm. those different kind of emotions and you just got to learn how to go okay that's happened. I'm like going to let myself grieve or I'm going to let myself be angry. I'm going to let myself whatever, insert emotion here. Yeah. Um, but then after that, what am I doing? Like, you know, I've had my little internal meltdown moment and then what I'm going to do from there? How am I going to move forward? But I think that's maybe a good wedding planner as well because I do see, you know, I, I am a problem solver. If someone comes to me with a problem, I'm like, right, okay, cool. So how are we going to do it? I don't generally, unless something's on fire, <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a generally very calm person on the day and I'm a very calm person throughout the entire process. And I think people do appreciate that about me, that they know that I've got it and everything, you can trust me, everything's cool. Because I've, I've gone through all these things where all these curveballs have hit me and then it is a problem and you can go, okay, well, what is that problem? And objectively how, you know, you take a step back and you go, okay, well, how am I going to deal with that? I've got these three options. I either go mental, I could either do the stupid thing or I could do the logical thing. And then most of the time I go for the logical thing. Yeah, yeah. And it works. Well, I think you can. But yeah. then I, I think you have to have that step back moment as well so that you can think logically. <laughs> well, especially for you as wedding planners. Yeah, oh, yeah. Because if when you're in your, you know, your fight or flight or your emotional state, your, your logic brain cuts out. <laughs> so you kind of need to be able to. Yes, that's true. Yeah. You do need to be able to, yeah, you 100% need to be able to step back and kind of assess the entire situation, be like, well, who's going to be affected by this or who and when is going to be affected by this? So what's my what's my decision going to be? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, this is all really weird throwback to something we were talking about right before we started recording. As you were sort of talking about all that stuff and your problem solving and, your, you know, going back to the high school stuff, do you feel like your that high school experience might have helped build a lot of that as well because it kind of I guess steals you in your in who you are or if you want to make you know maybe um, give a little rundown of your high school high school experience so I went to a private girls school in the UK for the majority of my uh, school career I ended up going to a public school for the last two years but for the majority of us at private school and as we all know girls are bitches and I I wasn't bullied but I was ignored I was very, I mean, I still am, a very extroverted person. Although I do like my own space, I love to, you know, again, like you said, take a step back and not necessarily read a book, but I love taking my dog for a walk and just being with my own thoughts. I try not to take my phone kind of thing. But I am generally a very extroverted, outgoing person, and most people will tell you that. And at high school, no one likes things that are out of the ordinary. So I would come in and be all happy and jolly in the mornings and it would be quashed basically by all these girls. And that was in years seven, eight and 
kind of nine, but I remember sitting under, in year eight specifically, I remember sitting underneath the desks in the classroom because no one wanted to go to lunch with me, so I just wouldn't go and have lunch. So I think, I don't necessarily think I learned anything from high school apart from the fact that people, girls specifically, but people can knock you down and make you feel very, very small. Mm. And it's very hard to get yourself out of it. I, di I didn't get myself out of it for three years until I, you know, because in year nine at that school, a new cohort of new students, like a couple of new students were coming. So I was like, this year I'm going to make friends with the new students. And that's what I did. Um, and then I had mm. friends. And then as you got older, and I think that's another, well, not necessarily a lesson, but I think as all, as us girls, girls got older into the later years, you know, when you're, 15, 16, 17, all the other girls started to come into their own personalities as well. So they didn't quite judge being different so mm. much, you know, because then that was, the, that was the era of being a goth and being an emo <laughs> and, you know, all that kind of thing. So, you know, then you'd have all these girls coming in with, you know, these black eyeliner and stuff and everyone's like, oh, okay, maybe it's not so diff diff bad to be different. You know, it's so no, not necessarily learning lessons, I suppose, from school, apart from the fact that I think as girls, we grow up and we do become slightly more accommodating yeah. I say slightly because I'm in mum's groups and god the quashing yeah. is ridiculous <laughs> yeah. so, you know unfortunately I think there's people who are judgmental no matter where you go and that's just uh that's just part of life yeah. but I was thinking more in the terms of the resilience that it builds because you know you have to you have like there's a lot of damage done I'm not gonna lie high school mm. bullying is is does severe severe damage to you know self-esteem and stuff However, it, it does mm. kind of build a certain level of resilience and that ability to go do something like, we'll go, well, I'm just going to sit in this room and have lunch by myself <laughs> and I will just do that. And you kind of find those alternative, you know, like alternative ways. Yeah. And I just, it just kind of made me think of, you know, when with the, that problem solving thing of where you're at now is like you can actually be outside of that and go, right, okay, well, let's do this, let's do that. That's not ideal. That's a bit shit, whatever, but we'll get around that and do this and do that because that's, sort of what you have to be doing when you're avoiding avoiding the bullies or avoiding you know whatever is happening yeah. well I was never avoiding was just, bullies I was I was just yeah avoiding being ignored I was avoiding being yeah. the person in the room that no one yeah. talked to so yeah I mean I suppose resilience to a point I suppose I you don't really I haven't really thought about it in that yeah. way so I mean I guess it's a culmination of our entire journey that builds us to where we are and it's quite a pivotal one just because those teenage years we are just, that's when we're forming our, our own sense of self, really. And it's just such a big, a big, so many hormones and so much, you know, anyway, just because of that age. And that, so kind of what happens in, in mm. those years can have such, quite a big impact on, you know, the years moving forward. Oh, yeah. I mean, what I will say, and it's something that I have been, well, actually, it's something that I started thinking about in September last year because I ended up doing a branding shoot with Norman Yap who wow. I 100% recommend if anyone needs a branding photographer Studio Heisel uh, it's in Maylands he's incredible but he sat he you know we started doing the photo shoot and I was like I think you go in and I was in, in a hurry and stuff so I was like let's get it done and get out but he was like no, no no let's just sit let's have a chat so he was taking photos and asking me questions about the business and the questions he was asking actually were really thought-provoking and I was like Okay, okay. So then I went and left the branding session really, really thought provoked. And I was like, I need to think about this because I think he, he asked some really good questions. And I actually came up with an answer, <laughs> which I told him three weeks later. And it's to do with my high it's to do with my high school career. So I am a wedding planner and I love being creative and I love creating things for other people to enjoy because it was the only time at high mm. school where I felt valued. 
So at the end of each year, we had like the end of year party and no one ever put their hand up to do it. The end of year party, it was only in your classrooms and you could, you know, everyone bought in snacks and it was like the last few hours of the last day of school. But I always used to bring in my CD players. I had two and mm-hmm. I would DJ, as it were, in inverted commas, and I would press play on the CDs and everyone would really enjoy my parties. So, you know, they would be dancing and chatting and people would talk to me and it was when, it was the one time where I felt really, really valued. So I was thinking about this after this branding session. I went, oh, my God, like absolute mind blown. So the and the more I think about it, the, the fact that I am a wedding planner and I love to create these incredible parties that are epic and have like audiovisual and it's because I want to wow people. And that's actually my tagline on my website that like we do wow because I do do wow because I want people to really enjoy the events that I throw because it's part of my own value system, which is not great because I mean, I'm being externally validated as opposed to internal. I'm fully aware of that. Uh, a bit of external validation doesn't go astray. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No, but it's but it's so true. And so, in, if you boil it down to yeah. it, really, the reason I became a wedding planner is because no one ever wanted to come to my party. <laughs> but now I plan parties for people that everyone wants to go. And now people are coming to you. Exactly. <laughs> I know, and that's it. And it's it is completely like egotistical. <laughs> And it's that external validation. But at the same time, you're like, but that's, you know, then that, I suppose that is not something I learned from high school, but it's something that I've come to the realisation, like down the track, yeah. that all of those experiences at high school made me, that's how I get valued is by other people, which is, again, not great. But Well, no, it's also, it's also for you, like internally, because, you know, like you're good at it, you enjoy it. it. It's like... I do, yeah. So a lot of like creativity comes from the collective flow right so every every time we do something creative we're actually just tapping into that universal energy and channeling it out into whatever we're creating so that's actually like a almost a spiritual connection for you as well and that's part of that's part of feeding your soul so on top of that sort of external validation it is also something for you it is like that's your expression of your soul that's your you know creative outlet and that's your way of bringing some beauty to the world and provide you know providing service and this is you know the light that you bring yeah because that's a bonus the external validation is just a bonus and that's just every that's just the more of a reaffirmation that you are doing what you should be doing you are going down that right path and this is this is your contribution to the world this is how you raise the vibration of of earth you know by bringing lots of joy to someone to people if I ever get married again you can do my wedding (laughs) (laughs) it is just the most that's why I love what I do like that moment when they walk in the room and they see what we've created or you know when I cry when every single one of my brides walks down the aisle it's just one of those things like it's it's definitely my passion and my purpose and it's something that gives me gives me great joy to see other people have great joy yeah I think that's beautiful yeah yeah and I don't think there's anything egotistical about that and I think I think a little a small level of egotism (laughs) But I think also a small level of egotism is good because that's what we need. We need to be confident in ourselves and men are allowed to be arrogant Mm. and egotistical. But as soon as women are, we're like bitchy or full of ourselves or whatever. And if you don't believe in yourself, who else is going to believe in you? It is true, 100% true. So anyway, as we are coming towards the end, I guess what I would like to pull together from that entire conversation would be... um, for you with your business where you're at now and all that sort of stuff, what 
would be your advice to people who are just starting out or who are even just experiencing some of the things that you've been through? Like what would be your advice to them to to move through, whether that's, you know, loss of a loss well, loss of anyone really, or, you know, the business side of things or any of the things. Mm. Any of the things. Yeah, any of the things. <laughs> well, I would say practically, one, don't pay too much for your very first website. There are mm. some amazing people who do like I mean, as much as I love to support small business in Australia, if you have you have no money, which, you know, I didn't at the mm. beginning. I overpaid for a website for someone in the in Australia that I have recently got my website done overseas by an incredible lady in the Philippines for a fraction of the price and it is one million times better. Mm. So don't overpay for a website. Um, not engagement, but showing your face on social media is your friend mm. and people love, people love your own personal story. I try not to show my face so much with my, with my daughter on social so much Mm. but people do appreciate it and get your finances in order to start with yeah (laughs) because i've i've been i this is how we met it's going to a final i was about to say that (laughs) is that there there are some things that i now need to change from what i learned from that webshop so yeah um so as a backstory for everybody Oh, I was going to say, over, always overestimate how much revenue you're going to get in. And if you think it's going to be more, apply for GST straight away. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I think you just do that because if you, from an energetic perspective, right, if you don't do that application for GST, that's telling the universe that I'm not earning more than 18000 or whatever yeah. that threshold is. And I just think yeah. if you're going to start out a business, whether or not you hit that in the first year, which hopefully you would, um, but there are a lot of outgoings when you first start, um, but it's almost cutting you off at the feet. So I would always say 100%, just do the GST thing because you're going to yeah. have to do it eventually anyway. If this is going to be your full-time business, it's going to have to be done and you just have to suck it up in the meantime. As much, I like it I'm, and I'm also, <laughs> I'm a big resistor. I've got PDA as part of my, um, as part of my ADHD, which is uh, something about uh, resisting authority type thing. <laughs> persistent, oh, yeah. persistent, something or other. Anyway, it's basically, I don't like t- people telling me what to do. So uh, I hate having to pay tax and shit like that. It sucks and I think yeah. it's illegal and all the blah, 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 soapbox shit. <laughs> However, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> Suck it up. Pay that money because then when you, you know, once you've built it all up, you're ready to go and you don't have to faff around with it 100%. Yeah. But I'll just go back, um, I'll go back to our, how oh, we yeah, met because yeah. I think that's actually <laughs> yeah. a really good point with the finance side of things because I'm a bit like you, like I'm creative and I like all the woo-woo stuff and, yeah, like, yeah. and then the finances are like, ah. <laughs> yeah, like I dollars, said, I'm crap at accounting. Dollars and cents <laughs> and numbers, numbers. I'm not good at yeah. numbers. Oh. Um, yeah. So I have, I signed up for, well, I've been following Kim Kent for a really long time because I met her in person at a networking event. I was like, oh, lady crush on this woman. She's amazing. Um, she uh, does, she runs Wealthy as Fuck and that's her business. And she's basically teaches you how to, you know, well, a, if, get out of debt if you're in it, but also, you know, build build your business to six figures in a really logical, easy way. And they had her and MG had a VIP day. Was it last week, actually? It wasn't that long ago, was it? Like a, a week two or two weeks, ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. Alice and I met there trying to get our get our finance on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's <sighs> yeah. Definitely, worth, definitely worth doing. Give the girls a plug. It's, um, it, oh, yeah. it, just, it just does give you that mindset. It's, that, it's, the, it's the kind of, yeah, practical part yeah. of the... 
of the business. Well, that's, an, that's another story of my money mindset. But, you know, Kip K, if you're listening, you can go do a podcast with you about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, practically, that was practically speaking. But also practically speaking from a hospitality perspective, I, I find a lot of people on um, like Facebook groups and like, wedding Facebook groups and stuff who think that they can plan weddings once they've planned their own. And mm. it gripes me to tears because they have no experience at all apart from planning their own. And whereas I appreciate that, you know, their wedding obviously probably went really well and really smoothly and everything, there are so many different other factors and so much other experience and operational and organizational knowledge that goes along with it. I've worked at hospitality mm. since I was 16. So when people come to me and say, I'm thinking about being a wedding planner, what would you suggest I do? I'm like, right, well, first you need to go get a job as a waitress. Like, mm. like not even not even kidding, because that knowledge of wine, of beer, of how a bar works, of how many staff you need, of how timings work in a kitchen, how long it takes to cook a piece of steak, like all of those mm. kind of things are just so bloody important, let alone then going into an office on a computer and then looking at timings from a, a vendor perspective. So you've got the venue and then you've got the vendors. It's like, when do they mm. need to come in? So lighting needs two hours to put up so then I can put up drapes. Uh, but then maybe lighting needs to come back to finish off. Uh, do I have a flooring, floral installation? Does that need... So I, I, get, I talk faster and I'm passionate. Like, it's really yeah, exciting. go. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's all those kind of operational things and, and organizational things that are just so, so important. So when people say to me, I want to be a wedding fan, I'm like, cool, go and do it. But go and get some experience first. Go and be a waitress. Go and work in a function center. Go work in a hotel. Go shadow some people. But mm. don't think you can go into this blind because you will fail. Mm. Um, and I've, I've seen it more than more than. I'd like to care to admit, and I have to admit, over COVID, the amount of wedding planners, in inverted commas, who came on the scene, who are now gone, because A, they couldn't hack the hours, B, they, it was a lot more than they thought it was going to be, it's, it's just rife, absolutely yeah. rife. But I think from an emotional perspective and the, and the resilience side that we were looking at when it comes to business, I think if there's anything I've learned over the four years and with COVID, shit goes wrong and people want refunds and mm. some people don't like you and the personality and some people don't, you know, some people pick other planners. And that's even happened to me in the last two weeks. I've, I lost a booking last week um, to another, an amazing planner who will do a fantastic job and I'm fully uh, at peace with it. There was a peace mm. with it very, very quickly because they're not my people and I think that's it. Um, and learning how to say no and, you know, you don't have to do everything and stay in your lane stick with what you're good at yeah it's a bit like it's yeah. from a branding perspective I guess it's a bit just like finding your niche isn't it because you're not ever going to appeal yeah. to everybody no one person no. can ever appeal to everybody it's just never going to happen so you've just got to find the right people or the right clients mm. and then you know that's what makes the magic I was going to say like legit when those clients find me that's when the magic happens and yeah. it is phenomenal and yeah. especially on a day like a wedding day and stuff like that exciting yeah but there's so much that goes it. into it because it's you know project management it's liaisons it's you know it, you've got obviously just the hospitality knowledge in itself there's so many things that you need to know and then you know you've got all the wedding side of things too because there's all those things there's so many things <laughs> so many things to think about with weddings yeah people think it's like a party they're like oh we just want a party I'm like it's not a party no <laughs> <laughs> a party's got a couple of canapes and and an open bar a wedding is just is there are so many more moving parts all when the people logistics. say to me oh i just want to 
Yeah, and people say, oh, I, I just want a really relaxed, casual wedding, but we want to do this and we'll do this and this and this and this. And this. Okay, cool. Well, there's a timeline that yeah. is involved with that. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately, weddings never change in terms of their formalities and the timings. I mean, the timings do change, obviously, a little bit, but weddings are all categorically very, very similar. The way you make them different is you, and the way that you do that is by looking into yourselves as a couple and going, well, what's important to us? And what do we like doing? Do we like going hiking? Do we have dogs? Do we like cake? Do we, um, is Christmas our favorite thing? Do we love Harry Potter? You know, it's like, and mm. getting all of those little things into the wedding that make the wedding quintessentially you, that's what makes it unique. Oh, I love that. Love that so much. <laughs> yeah. That is And awesome. that's what I think I specialize in. Yeah. 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 I think that's beautiful. Well, it's been really lovely chatting and I really appreciate your time and coming on and having a chat with me. Oh, and thank you so stuff. much. I hope it's, um, I hope your listeners maybe learn something from me and my journey and what I've learned along the way. And there's, I've got a few more lessons to share, but probably for another day. We can do part two. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think, um, I think a lot of learning just comes from the sharing as well. Like quite often when you're going through something, you can feel like you're on your own and you can feel like you're the only person that's ever been through it. And so just being able to hear other people have been through something similar or, you know, even just their own journeys, it just, I think that creates some healing in itself. It's that story sharing. And that's what as, you know, we're a tribal species and that's something that we've lost a little bit of over the years. That's pretty much why I wanted to start this podcast is that the story sharing and the storytelling is just such an important of our a connection and b just healing for ourselves sharing it and hearing it and you know all that sort of stuff mm. all of that i think sometimes saying a lot sometimes saying things out loud makes it real mm. and whether that you know maybe that is uh, admitting it to yourself and learning from that or if that's teaching others i think you know it's, it's a good thing yeah well i mean it's it's twofold isn't it, it works in in both directions yeah. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. I think we yeah. need to do a reading for you though, because I reckon your mum probably has a few things to say. <laughs> I would love to hear what she has to say. So maybe we'll have to line one of those up for for some time soon. Yeah. Yes, sounds All like right. a plan. <laughs> awesome. Jump on as well. We'll put your socials on to the podcast thing anyway, so people can jump on. But it's Alice Hayden Events. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, at, 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 at Alice Hayden Event, or my website is alicehayden.com, and it's H-E-Y-D-O-N. Thank you, honey. I really appreciate your time. It's been really lovely to chat. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me on the Kick-Ass Chronicles. It's been wonderful to have you with me, and I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you want to get in touch with me or you want to see more of what I do, you can find me on Instagram at Official. Or you can jump over to my website at nikkiweaver.com and every episode of the podcast will be on there as well. Um, plus a few other amazing things that I am up to. So <laughs> looking forward to catching up with you again next time.